Jazio, welcome to UBVO. He's a neuroscientist who studies brain-controlled body weight, including the regulation of appetite and of genetic modifiers of food intake and body weight. But that's not what he's going to talk about today. During COVID-19 lockdown one, Giles had his own media series called Lockdown Cuisine, in which he showed to the world that wanted to watch his great culinary skills. Today he's going to talk about this, and he's going to use it as a vehicle to discuss privilege and food calories. Giles. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Now, guys, no, first of all, let me share the screen before I start yabbering away. Can we all see that? Oh, perfect. Hello, guys. Um, Stanley, thank you very much for asking me to, to come do this. Now, this is the first time I'm giving this talk, so I'm giving a caveat. I'm almost giving excuses already. But it has given me the opportunity because Stanley wanted me to talk about this lockdown cuisine. And I was thinking, well, how am I going to structure this? I have not embedded any of the videos on here. So for any of you um, who want, uh, uh, this is my thinking about uh, uh, privilege and calories. And actually, here's the thing, reflections on my lockdown cuisine through an Instagram filter. So by all means, so this is the first time I've given a talk largely through the medium of Instagram. There, there are some slides there which will appear. Okay, so this is the first time I've done this. For those of you who are interested in, the, in, in a lot of the videos early on, do come on to Instagram. You don't necessarily have to follow me. And, or you can follow me, watch the videos, and then non-follow me, all right? But I'm here to talk about privilege and calories. And these are my reflections on my lockdown cuisine. So um, um, through an Instagram, through, through an Instagram filter. So, and, and Stanley said that I could shamelessly promote things, um, but actually, the, so I've got a new book coming out. It's called Why Calories Don't Count on June, June 17th, next, next month. Um, but I only bring this up because this talk in effect is based on one of the chapters within this book, the, the, the chapter on the chapter on privilege. Okay. And this is the, the these are my thinking. So let's go. And um, I won't take too long and hopefully we'll have time for q and I'll time myself so that we don't, we don't um, go on forever. And I hope you buy this, this, this argument and this, and this thinking. So folks, I love, I love food. I am someone who loves food. You know that people that use food as fuel, I love food. I know what I'm having for dinner tonight, tomorrow night, day after night. I know what I'm having for dinner on Tuesday because I, I prepare I prepare the food. And I love every aspect of it. I love looking for the recipes. I love preparing the food. Some people hate preparing the food or sourcing the food. I love that as well. Um, I love eating the food, of course. I love cooking the food. I love eating the food. I love sharing the food that I, that, that I cook. The, the one thing which I dislike about the whole process is the cleaning up after. So that's the process with, 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 which I don't like. So you'd be unsurprised to know that my domestic responsibility in the yo good old household here in the outskirts of Cambridge is to produce the food. The, the, I, I think of food sort of like in two big categories. And I'm not talking culturally, okay? Two big categories. I think of them as weekday meals. Now, weekday meals, at least before this, the, the, the past year and a half or so, has the issue of, of time. Okay, the, the, the problem of time, because we have, because of that problem, peskiness of having to go to work. So weekday meals tend to be shorter, truncated processes, but I would hope no less enjoyable to eat. So stir fries have the feature. So this is my chicken. Now, this is pork and prawn chow mein, fried noodles. Okay. And in effect, something like this can be produced within a half hour of me stepping in the house. And so this is, we'll have cashews, just a whole bunch of different types of vegetables, doesn't matter what kind of vegetables, and egg noodles, all right, classically. Clearly, I can do something which is not with noodles, and this is, this is another one of my, my, my go-tos, and this is uh, tofu, bok choy, and the tofu is puff tofu. It's 
bok choy with a spicy black bean sauce. This is actually, for those of you who care, plant-based. It's actually fully plant-based. It's not even vegan. It's completely plant-based. Um, and then you serve it, and then I serve it with, um, I serve it with um, steamed rice. Okay. The longest part of this whole process is probably the making of the steamed rice. And so this meal is probably available 40 minutes from when I step in the house, entirely because the rice needs to cook for 20 minutes and sit for 20 minutes in order to become fully fluffy and, 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 and actually very nice. Then those are the one pot meals, okay, one stir fry meals. Then they're the grill meal. So I'm showing you salmon here, but you can do the same thing with pork chops or grilled chicken or, or anything along the side where you take the, the, the meat, the protein element, you marinate it to give it the flavor, you grill it. Nice weather, I'm out on the barbecue. In fact, even bad weather, I'm out on the barbecue. It's always served with a sauce of some description. This was this teriyaki, I do a teriyaki sauce, steamed veg or stir fried veg with rice. So this meal, once again, Less than an hour from when I step in a house, something like this can, can actually appear. And obviously, then they're actually curry-based things, which you might think, well, that seems that's going to take time. How, how, come, you know, how come you can do that? Well, it depends, right? So first of all, I'm not going to make the paste. I don't buy sauces in jars. Please don't insult me. So the paste you can buy, and they're fantastic, okay? So this is a green curry paste, which, which I buy. And then as long as you cook something which doesn't take a long time to cook, so veg, and in this particular scenario, seafood, which obviously take, it's cooked in a matter of minutes, and if you have some kind of stock that's there, this meal can come out very quickly indeed. Once again, the limiting factor is actually the cooking of the rice. So I walk in the house, I quickly get the rice on the rice cooker, bang, let it cooking, and then I can go and take my time to actually prepare this. So once again, 40 minutes from when I step in the house, this meal can actually, actually appear. And then there are the soup-based things. Now, as long as you have a stock ready to go, okay, vegetable or, or meat stock, whatever kind of stock, or boat stock, what, what, whatever you want, then actually these... Uh, this can appear very, very quickly indeed. Now, this particular one, which is my pea and barley soup with uh, chopped hazelnuts on top, the limiting factor here is the cooking of the barley, okay, because it takes time. But if you're doing something else, well, then it's not going to take very long at all. So these are my weekday go-tos. Now, all of these foods I have cooked through lockdown, but actually these were go-tos prior to lockdown because, because, um, because they were just very easy, very easy to, 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 to cook. Then you have weekend meals. Now, weekend meals, you have the luxury of time, all right? Now, with time, you can do all kinds of things. There's the marinating, there's the this, there's the that, there's the slow cooking. So you have stews. So this is a beef brisket stew. I love beef brisket, okay? Cooked with dumplings. Now, a couple of things to introduce here as a, as, as a concept. So during lockdown, I ended up finding, because we're privileged, and we're going to talk, talk about privilege in a second. Because we're privileged, I ended up finding this online ethical butcher. I try and eat I'm eating a lot of meat now, unfortunately, but I try to find good meat to eat, you know, because one is privileged enough to afford it. And this ethical butcher who delivers through the food directly to your door, maybe not environmentally friendly, but anyway, it comes to your door. You get these cuts of meat you can't get in the supermarket. And here, good brisket, all right? And this one is with ale. Brisket needs to be cooked forever. So this one probably cooked for three hours in the oven. And then in the last half hour, I put the dumplings on top. And these dumplings are made using suet, vegetable suet, not, not meat suet, vegetable suet, self-raising flour, mm, served with mashed steamed veg. Delicious. Chili. This, in fact, for those of you who are interested and can and have smell of vision if you want to be in my house, it's what I'm having for dinner tonight. So this is, once again, this beef brisket chili. Now here, rather than you're thinking, why don't you buy minced beef? Mm -mm. So what I do is I buy hunks of beef, brisket, I cut them, ch chop them into cubes, and then I put them into a food processor and actually make the mince myself. Okay, and this one takes 
is cooking at the moment. I put this on before because it's uh, because I had time. I kind of stuck it on, stick, stuck it in the oven. So when I'm done here, my chili is ready to go. I just have to just to put together the accoutrements. Guac over here. I have not made my guac tonight yet. All right. And then roasts, just standard roast. And here's a roast chicken. But even when I cook roast chicken, I like to kind of put a little twist on it, guys. So this is just roast chicken. There's nothing special about this roast chicken. But two things. I deglaze the pan for the, for, for, for the sauce, for the gravy, with Shaoxing rice wine. It gives, what's the closest thing? For those of you who don't know what Shaoxing rice wine is, it's the closest thing is probably a medium dry sherry. It has a slight sweet flavor to it. That's the closest thing. It's not perfect analogy. So you deglaze the pan with it. It gives that a really round, mellow feeling to the gravy. The second thing which I do is rather than, and I serve it with mash, so rather than putting a normal uh, black pepper in, which you could, of course, it tastes very nice, I use a, a Sichuan pepper, which is slightly spicier. It gives the numbness in the lips. And you kind of put that into the uh, mashed potato with, with whole cloves of garlic that you boil and everything, you mash it up. The, oof, oof, oof. Try it. Deglaze your pan with Shaoxing rice wine. Works with pork as well. Okay. And use Sichuan peppers in place of in place of black black pepper. Okay. Now sometimes I switch it up. Okay. Sometimes I switch it up where I don't have to roast. So this is a family favorite of mine. So I am, well, I'm ethnically I'm Chinese, as you can see. But my dialect group, so my maternal grandfather is actually from Hainan, uh, the, the island of Hainan. My the rest of my three grandparents are all um Chaozhou or Teochew people. Okay. But from my Hainanese grandfather, we have Hainanese chicken rice, which is what I cooked. And this is, in effect, a poached chicken dish, which doesn't sound particularly appetizing, but it's a poached chicken on a salad. But then the key thing here is two things. So from the poaching liquor, you then make the rice. Okay, you make the chili sauce, which I, which I actually have here. You make the rice, you make the, the chili, you make the sauce, and then you have it. And so what happens is it's, it's supposed to be a peasant dish. There's a hell of a lot of chicken here. But in the past, one chicken would have fed, you, you, you know, an enormous number of people, enormous number of people within, um, within the family because the, the flavor of chicken infuses throughout the entire, um, the flavor of chicken infuses throughout the entire meal. And this is sometimes what I what 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 I have. I've been cooking this as a family. I've been cooking this since I was a teenager. I learned it from my mom, who obviously learned it from my um my grandpa and I'm teaching my son how to. Um, um. But here's the interesting thing about lockdown. Weekend meals, uh, lockdown men weekend meals all the time, such as today. I mean, today is a Thursday. I should be at work. But what happened was because I did my morning's worth of, worth of work. Then I thought, ooh, I'm giving this talk uh, um, in Oxford. So I thought, well, why don't I stick on my chili? Come along, give you the talk. And then all the time is just waiting and, and it's there. And I begin to realize, I have to say, as the lockdown went on, and I was just getting more creative with the cooking and putting things together, and then news articles begin to appear, I begin to be acutely aware of my privilege, okay? And we're going to come back and, and talk about that in a second. But what else can I cook in lockdown? So this one, which I did on, a, uh, on, on some random day in the week, my, uh, five, my crispy aromatic duck. You know, when you guys go to Chinese restaurants and you order the crispy aromatic duck with the pancakes and the hoisin sauce and what have you, I always found that you don't have enough. You never have enough. You have like two pancakes or something as a starter. Uh-uh. I always want more. How do you solve that problem? You make it yourself and your whole meal is crispy aromatic duck with pancakes. There we go. That's, that was my solution. Okay. And then, so this takes a while to cook and I serve it. I typically serve it with these are duck eggs, hard boiled duck eggs, which I steep in a five spice dark soy um, sauce. So I call these black eggs. 
I serve it with rice. And you can see on the left-hand side here, chili oil, crispy chili oil. Mm, delicious. Then my, my ethical butcher then supplies cuts of meat that you don't normally get at all. So this one here are lamb ribs. You can't get lamb ribs anywhere else for love of money. But these lamb ribs, and I do this Moroccan style, couscous and feta cheese, and you know, I put together a, a, a mango and tomato salsa, some, some, mint, um, some mint yogurt. Delicious. Another weird random cut of meat, and this, uh, the, my aromatic, just FYI, as a kind of like a, um, a mousse-bouche, the aromatic duck and this recipe, which is brie, uh, uh, black beef braised short ribs. Okay, and it's black because it's black. It's been cooked in dark soy with an unholy amount of garlic. That looks like a scary amount of garlic. I'll show you here on, 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 on the right-hand side. But trust me, when you cook it for three to four hours, the garlic dissolves into the sauce and actually thickens it up. Oh my God, the umami nature of it. It's a smack in the face. You know, I use a stock, the Shaoxing rice wine again. It is delicious. The recipe for this is also in the back of the, it's also in the back of my calories, about my calories book. I love calories. So, 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 so why not talk about, um, talk, talk about that um, as well. And then soup again, but soup is quick. I'm bringing this up, not because of the soup. And this is a Japanese red kui squash, squash soup. It has a, um, it's kind of like butternut squash but actually has a more chestnutty flavor and is really nice. It makes the soup taste really savory, particularly if you have a good stock up with it. But to highlight the fact that I made cornbread. Now, I, this was a dish I had on a Tuesday or something like that. Who makes cornbread on a Tuesday during the regular time of the week? There's no time. But of course, in lockdown, I'm privileged. I had a garden. This was a, a lovely summertime. And I said, gosh, I want a cornbread today. Cornbread with soup. Why not? And so I made a cornbread. Now, all of this, all of this foodiness was then interrupted <laughs> by, by our PM becoming ill with COVID, as you remember, um, entering hospital and everyone was, was, was obviously uh, uh, wondering what was going to happen to him. And then he then became better and then left. And then in, yes, this would happen in July of last year, the summer of last year, he clearly, uh, the PM, clearly undergoing some, some Damascene conversion, decided that the reason he suffered so much from, from COVID was because of his weight. Now, he was he, he is a larger man. One would might even say that he was probably in the obese BMI category. I mean, there's elements of it to be true. We know that, for example, that obesity, which is a pandemic we are living in, in a non-infectious pandemic where we are, we are living in. If you are living with obesity, you suffer much more severely when you actually uh, get, get COVID. And actually, not only obesity, but any other me metabolic diseases. So in very many ways, those of us who work on obesity, and I do work on obesity, have known that it's not the obesity per se that tends to kill you but all of the associated comorbidities. And these comorbidities can include high, uh, certain cancers, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, all of the, all of the, the, the nasty stuff. As it turns out, an increased uh, likelihood of doing very badly if you're infected with COVID. And so he then decided that, oh, 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 we need to have an obesity plan now, okay? Because it, in fact, it, but that's fine. That's fine. Human beings are selfish. And you can say, well, there's going to need, need to be an obesity plan. And it had a whole lot, lot, lot of things. And you can go to, if you go to my Instagram link, you'll see the link. And I wrote an op-ed, opinion piece for the iNews. You can see the title. It ignores the fact that body weight is not a choice, which I'll come back to in a second, because our body weight is affected by a myriad of biological and societal effect, okay? So let's deal with this one, one at a time. The biological, that uh, body weight is not a choice, okay? 
Now, the problem with doing something like body weight is people think that if you're studying it, you're giving people an excuse because, because people think that body weight is a choice. It's the prevailing view. On the very same day, you'll know, this is July the 28th. This is the day my piece came out, the day after our obesity plan was, was actually released. Here's Charles Moore in one of the, the broadsheets, okay? If we must be slim, why are so many nurses fat? You know, that so many, so his, his take, his argument is that with so many NHS staff that are overweight, it will only make harder to convince the public to take weight loss advice. Entirely missing the point that nurses are human beings, doctors are human beings. The head of my department, who is probably the preeminent obesity researchers in the world, okay, he's a large man. For those of you who don't know Professor Sir Stephen Arathi, he's a large man, okay, he, and, and, and he's a human being. Knowing about the causes and consequences of obesity does not prevent you, in large part, from becoming obese. Because, you know, body weight is just, is, is not a choice. And we, we now have an obesity day. Uh, World Obesity Day, that was on March the 4th. This is a picture of me on, I posted this on March the 4th, you know, and you can see what I wrote here. It might seem a simple issue of carrying too much fat, but people end up with obesity for many different complex reasons. Obesity is not a choice and weight stigma. So this is my shtick. This, this, this is my shtick that is there. And so I thought it'd be useful just to introduce some science. Some of you may have heard uh, me bang on about this before, but I thought I'd introduce you my position, shall we say, on obesity. The problem with obesity is this particular figure here. This, this scales of justice, okay, that we have all seen. It's otherwise known as, it's otherwise the first law of thermodynamics. So we can't magic the calories from anywhere, and we certainly can't magic the calories away, where the only way you're going to be gaining weight is to eat more than you burn, and the only way to lose weight is to burn more than you eat. It's a question of physics. And how you get to the body weight you are is going to be a question of physics because it is physics, is a fundamental law. But the more interesting question, I think the more important question is the question of why, about why people behave so very differently around food. Now, there are going to be different reasons. There's going to be biological reasons and there are going to be societal reasons about people behaving around food. So just to give you some examples, why do some people respond to stress by eating? And other people respond to stress by not eating. It's, it's, it's almost a bimodal response, but it's the same hormone. It's cortisol, all right? But yet diametric opposite responses. Why do people love food? I love food. Whereas I share uh, um, sort of like an office space with a endocrinologist colleague of mine. I have, we're like work, uh, we're like married work partners, okay? Uh, Tony Call, who eats the same cheese sandwich every damn day for the past 10 years that I've worked with him. The same cheese sandwich every single day. So he clearly uses food as fuel, whereas I live. Why? Okay. Why do some people feel hungry all the time? Why do some people appear to take a little bit more to get full, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So, so, so all of these differing behaviors around food mean that you eat slightly more or eat slightly less because you love food or don't love food. You, you find it easy to say no or not. Okay. Influencing the physics. And so just dealing with the biological factors first, we know that there are a lot of biological factors. Bio for biology regenes because of the use of twins, because of twin studies. You have identical twins, and these are genetic clones of each other. You share all your genes and non-identical twins. And they would share as much genetic material as you would with your own siblings, or for that matter, your parents, 50%. So if you study enough twins, you can then sort of figure out what we call heritability. So the percentage of the variation are given trait 
that's going to be down to your genes versus the environment. So classically, hair coloration, if I had hair, is very powerfully genetically informed but very little environmental impact. Dyeing your hair does not count. I'm talking about your hair color. Whereas something like freckles okay, are clearly going to be very genetically influenced when they appear, but whether or not they appear, how many appear, even amongst identical twins, would depend on whether or not you wear t-shirts. Do I like to stand in the sun? An example of a powerfully genetically influenced trait with an equally powerful environmental impact. Now, if you do that math, then actually the heritability of body weight amongst identical twins is around 70%. It's actually between 40 and 70%. This will become relevant soon. So it's not zero, but it's not 100%. Okay, so there is actually a big genetic and biological component to your body weight. And so what do some of these genes do? Well, now we know that by start, by talking about the genetics of body weight, we are almost by its very de definition talking about the genetics of how our brain influences food. And your brain needs to know two pieces of information in order to, to influence food intake. First of all, it needs to know how much fat you have because how much fat you have is how long you would last in the wild without any food. So if your food stopped today, how long would you live for? And it needs to know what you are currently eating and what you have just eaten. So these are going to be your short-term signals. And these are going to come from your gut, okay? Your, your gastrointestinal tract, short-term and long-term signals. These are secreted as hormones into the bloodstream. They signal to the brain, which then responds and translates these signals to influence your next interaction with a menu, with a restaurant, or with the supermarket. And there are genetic modifiers that run throughout this entire process. For example, what do some of these genes do? We now know of over a thousand genes that influence our body weight. Some of them influence the fat sensing pathway. For example, if you are carrying 20 kilos of fat, but your brain is only sensing 18 kilos of fat, it's going to go 18, 18. I thought I had 20. It's going to drive you to eat more to get you up to 20 kilos of fat, but you're already at 20 kilos of fat. So you're going to get more fat. Now, imagine if you've eaten a thousand calories for lunch, but then your brain only senses 900 calories. You see where I'm going with this? It gets you to eat more, right? Because of this lack of sensitivity or just within the brain, this is why for some, you can go to a meal, uh, a restaurant or, or at home or wherever and eat exactly the same meal, but yet you full faster than someone else or feel hungrier even after both of you have finished exactly the same meal because of your genetic pre pre predisposition, okay? So these are some biological factors that influence why some people are small, medium, or large. But the thing is, and I keep saying this, body weight is not a choice. So let's deal with that. How can it not be a choice? This is me choosing to eat a pizza. They go, look, look, I'm eating pizza. How can there not be a choice? You cook all this food. Of course, you're gonna, you, know, you, you like to eat it. So here's the important thing to take away from the biological aspect at any rate. Any given meal, which may be a choice, pizza or broccoli, pizza or no pizza, all right, may be a choice. Any given meal is not going to change your body weight. Your body weight does not change overnight. Our body weight is the function of thousands of different feeding decisions we have taken over many years. Now we know that because of our genetic hand of cards, because of our genes, because of our differing biologies, some people are less likely to say no than others. Like, a few percentage points, say 5% less likely to say no to the pizza than others. 5% over thousands of feeding decisions is hundreds of thousands of calories, which is why some people are small, medium, and large in this environment we actually live in. It's the casino example. The house always wins, depending on how the house is set up. And for some of us, the house is the house, and it will always win. Over the period of time of which your body weight will change, Feeding behavior and hence body weight is not a choice. There is a lot of waste stigma out there 
Okay, there is, there is. This is just no point in denying it. From kiddies to 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 adults calling each other's names, and you might say, well, it's just people calling. You know, people need to be more thick skin. They need to be more thick skin. Okay, they need to. Well, hey, why should they be? But there is also more sinister things that happen when you begin to consider body weight to 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 be a choice. So this, you can see the date, tenth of March, twenty twenty one. Okay, so this was only a couple of months ago. These two teenagers. Okay, this was in uh, by West Sussex so- Social Services were removed from their family because they could not lose weight. These are kids being removed from their family. I read the judgment. It's a complex judgment. Okay, it's not a, this is not a simple black and white. But the opening transcript of the judgment, which you can find online, said that I, I want to start by the judge. I want to be start. I want to start by saying that these are kids in a loving family with loving parents. Yet they were removed because they failed to lose weight. Why? It, it just if it had been asthma. Do you think they would have been taken away? Like seriously? Or any other diseases, but yet you talk about body weight. Suddenly you go, oh, oh, it's child abuse. It's child abuse. You've got to remove them. The, the weight stigma, our consideration of this weight as being a choice has real, cruel, criminal consequences that I would like to say. Now, okay, so they may be biological. Re- so just to quote Maya and Ange- Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Well, now we freaking know better. When you know better, be better. We need to be better ladies and gentlemen, about, certainly about the biological um, aspects of uh, body weight. Now, this is my son. So just talking about biology, and he, he loves to cook as well. So he's, he's got, he loves food, okay? My wife gets hungry and then gets, get, and then gets grumpy and needs food. My son loves food. So he is, he's making here dal, so, so he cooks um, um, as well. Um, and so, and this is fine. So this, you might say, is environment. You might say it's genes. I think it's genes and environment together. Um, he also does this for me. Now, this is not handmade. This is just frozen. But still, look, what, kind of, what more can a father want? You come back from a, from a cycle ride and suddenly you have pot stickers created, um, um, put, put in front of you by your son. Listen, all the investment is now worth the while. But, okay, I spoke about privilege. And it is privilege. I'm here. I've been fully paid through lockdown. I have a garden. My son is working from home. He's on a he's on a gap year at the moment, so he's paid. I would say I've spent less money in lockdown because I can't go to restaurants. I we haven't gone anywhere. I've I've actually, I would rather have been at work, but I've actually probably financially benefited from um from lockdown because I just haven't spent money on anything other than food. Okay, and then that's because why would you? You're not going to buy clothes. You're not going to do, do do anything. So this happens to be not the time when Marcus Rashford campaign for the first time, but this was the second time. So this would happen. Look at the dates here. This is 15. Oh, January 14th. But you know that there was a, a situation where there was huge food poverty. In fact, there was huge p- food poverty in this country already before the pandemic. Nine million people in this country pre-pandemic. So this would have been 2019 and before are food insecure in this country, the sixth richest country in the world. Okay, I, I do think it's, it's, it's criminal. What does food insecurity mean? Food insecurity is not famine. It's not starvation. This is not what we're talking about. Food insecurity is not knowing where your next meal is going to come from, which is something that I'm going to argue that any of us on this call are painfully middle class and don't have this and, and, and don't have this problem. And what the pandemic has done to people who cannot sit at home fully paid with a garden and get ethical butcher to actually de- de- deliver their stuff. And I really did think about this um, um, through it. They were made far poorer because they had to work, but weren't in a position to work. So why talk about privilege? Because privilege also plays a very big role, okay, in whether or not in the likelihood of us becoming obese, because there is a 
uncomfortable link between socioeconomic class, privilege, poverty, and the likelihood of disease, of all diseases, including the likelihood of actually uh, ending up with, with obesity. The question is, why? Because these are things that some people have actually said to me. I'm not making any of this stuff up, right? And these are people that just, you know, across for dinner, at a college dinner, or, or in a pub talking, what do you do? Oh, I speak, um, you know, I, I work in obesity. And then this pops up. But if people are hungry, shouldn't they be skinny? You know, they, if they're having problems with weight, they can't be hungry. All right. Um, I think it's all about bad choices. I mean, look, they're eating awful food. And you can read all this. Why are they buying that junk? Why buy frozen pizzas when it's so easy to make your own? They just need to cook from scratch. They need to know what goes into their food. Someone actually said to me, very painfully middle class, they, they need to shop at farmer's markets and grow their own as much as possible. I mean, because then you know when, what, what happens. You know, Organic is key for health, really. Vegetables, beans and lentils, I mean, they're so cheap. I mean, you can't tell me that healthy food's expensive. That's just total rubbish. You know, don't they, and this is the killer, don't they care about their children? If that's what they're eating, then they deserve to be unhealthy. So I'm going to go back to that case where the kids were pulled away by social services. I mean, that, that wasn't a rich household. I want to, I want to point this out. Okay. It wasn't, um, it was a slightly deprived, a deprived household. And so you're thinking, well, they, they can't lose weight. You, you know, the parents mustn't care about them. This is why we're actually going to go, go, go into a room. And here's the problem with privilege. Privilege is when you think something is not a problem because it doesn't affect you personally. Something about privilege. Let's just contemplate privilege here for, 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 for a few minutes. So privilege comes in, I want to argue, three different flavors. Money, this is what we typically think, cash, actual cash, time, and knowledge. And the problem is, the lower down the socioeconomic ladder one goes, the less of all three flavors of privilege one is likely to have. So imagine Mrs. Smith, who needs to work two jobs in order to make enough money to feed the kids, minimum wage jobs. So that's the first thing. So she has cash to, to, to feed the children, but it takes all her time to make it. Therefore, she doesn't have time. And if she doesn't have time, then if she comes back uh, because she has to work full time on Saturday and blah, 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 and this and that, well, now how the hell is she going to put a meal, a, a meal together quickly? Oh, here's some lentils and some beans. You can make it easy. But does she have the knowledge? Does she have the wherewithal in order to put together, to cook lentils, to put together something, some, something easy? Does she have the knowledge? Does she have the time to get the knowledge? This is not stupidity. I'm not talking about that. Does she have the time to get the knowledge? And for all of us to say, oh, of course, it's just easy to do. We are not in Mrs. Smith's position because what happens with a lack of privilege? Because privilege gives you choice. That's what privilege does. I can choose to eat a takeout. I can choose to eat crap, McDonald's, uh, fast food. I can choose to eat ethically reared beef. Okay, I can choose to eat vegan, plant-based, anything I want. The lack of privilege means having no choices. Okay, and I think this is, 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 is part of the problem. And what does this have to do with obesity? Because our genes don't act in isolation. Remember, the heritability of body weight, I told you, was 70%, 40 to 70%. But it acts within the environment you actually live in. And this study uh, by my colleague here, Claire Llewellyn, she's from UCL in, 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 in London, I think has a very, did an eye-opening study. And so she runs the Gemini study out of UCL. And the Gemini study is a twin study, like I described, classic twin study. And, and Claire, uh, Professor Llewellyn, happens to study obesity like, like, like I do. But the unique nature of the Gemini uh, cohort is that she has uh, food security measurements, 
within each of the households of her twins. And so in other words, you know, uh, uh, twins with a obesogenic house environment or a lower privilege, she has that, she has, she has a number. So here's the, the, the take home message. So the heritability of body weight is 40 to 70%. So why is it not a single number? Okay, why is it a range? Well, here's the interesting thing. She found that in, in households such as ours, fully food secure households, okay, middle-class households, the heritability of body weight actually amongst twins actually hovered around the 40% mark. In order to get to the 70% mark of heritability of body weight, she actually needed to go to look at the households with the highest food insecurity. So in other words, the, the, the poorest, the people on the lowest socioeconomic class. So what does this tell you? And, and first of all, so why has this happened? Because you need to look at the environment. You need to look at the lack of privilege that, uh, that is there. And I guess to put it simply, if you are more susceptible to saying, to not being able to say no to the slice of pizza, then it's best to have other options other than the pizza. But where are the pizza joints that, that, that are being, they, they tend to be in lower income places. What, what are the cheapest foods per calorie that, that are actually available? You know, um, ultra processed foods, because they're, because they're frozen, because they have a long shelf life, they're, they're cheaper. If you are Mrs. Smith, you've come home, you need to feed your kids, you don't have time, you don't hardly have any money, and you certainly don't have the knowledge, who are we to judge if Mrs. Smith decides to go to Iceland and buy four pizzas for $2.99 to feed her family? But the problem with that is that that puts you in an obesogenic environment, puts you at a risk of actually be, be, becoming obese. And this, and living with obesity, and this actually matters, 40 to 70%, which means that even with exactly the same genetic susceptibility, just by fixing the problem of privilege, we can remove something along the lines of 30 to 40% of the heritability. You can mitigate, okay, up to 30 to 40% of your heritability of body weight just by being middle class compared by being non working class. Food should be a celebration. It should be a celebration. Okay, so this, is, this was a, a Thanksgiving meal. Thanksgiving in the UK, there's no turkeys available. They're all frozen. So I ended up having a pusa. They're kind of like small turkeys, aren't they? Small turkeys? Anyway, so this is what, what, what I had. This was my meal, Chinese New Year this year. So I bought, once again, from my uh, ethical butcher. He sells me the biggest piece of pork belly you're ever going to see. So I divide it down the middle and do pork belly two ways. I do Shanghai red pork, delicious. And I do uh, Chinese three-layer roast pork, okay, with the crispy bits. Oh, it, I'm, my mouth is watering just talking about it. And, 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 and vegetables. It should be a celebration. And this was the most rich. This is a day ago, not really a day ago. What time is six? Six, I made this presentation a while ago. Five days ago was my birthday. And I had sirloin on the bone, roasted, roast potatoes, Yorkshire pudding, because we are privileged, ladies and gentlemen, because we are privileged. And I cannot take this for granted whenever I work because of what, because of what I study. Okay. And I put this information out there. I mean, there's an element of why I put this information out there because I'm trying to combat people who fear food. Okay. But this is going to be a middle-class problem. So, so, so the food gurus, uh, uh, the, the, the people who are on weird diets and green juices and what have you, all middle-class, middle-class problem. And these are the people I'm targeting. But then we have to not forget, okay, those that are actually food insecure in this country, let alone the, the, the rest of the world, who are not as privileged when they think about, um, about calories. I don't bake. That's the one thing I don't do because everything I showed you were savory, were, were savory foods. My wife is the, the person that does the baking. She, she didn't make this, but she took, took the picture of these chocolates. 
and there's always space for dessert. So I'll just deal just to give you the, the dessert tummy vignette and then I'll get the hell out of here. Okay. That, that, then I'll end. So dessert tummy. I just thought I'd share this with you. So we know what that is. But to re- recap, when we could go to a restaurant, when we go to a restaurant, a proper restaurant, not some fancy schmancy Michelin place, I guarantee you that by the time you reach the middle to the end of your main meal, okay, of, the, of, the, of your, your, your main meal, you would have achieved your caloric requirements for the day, which means that whatever calories you've burnt, you have already recouped. Yet, when they appear with the chocolate cake, you eat the chocolate cake. This is the dessert tummy. But I think the more interesting question to ask is why is it specific to dessert? So, for example, let's say we you go to a steak and chips place, okay? All you can eat. And you eat until you're full. And the waiter comes along and says, more steak, more chips, more steak, more chips. And you say, oh, no, dude, no, thank you. I, I'm, I feel like puking. No, thank you, right? Uh, uh, no. But yet you eat the chocolate cake when it comes. So why is it specific for desserts rather than steak and chips? So you got to go back. Evolution. 50,000 years ago in the Serengeti. Now, imagine it's cost you 2,000 calories to take down to take down the antelope. What do you have to do when you go back to the village? You have to eat at least 2,000 calories, otherwise you eventually die. But if you eat only 2,000 calories, you don't buffer against the time. You're not guaranteed to get the antelope the next time around. So, well, how the hell am I going to get the antelope next time around? So the part of your brain, the hedonic part of your brain, the part of your brain that makes eating taste good, takes over. So you eat more than you need. But how do you get past the mechanical difficulty of being stuffed with 2,000 calories worth of venison? Your brain, as you get fuller, begins to change the type of calories that it, that it likes, okay, that it craves, meaning that it begins to crave calorically more dense food, which means that for every given gram of food, you get more calories so that you can stuff in as many calories as physically possible. Uh, what, is, what are foods that are high in caloric density? They would be high in free sugars and high in fat. What are foods that are high in sugar and fat? Dessert. So your dessert tummy is a holdover from your time in the Serengeti when you are trying to actually continue eating as much as possible, even after you're stuffed full of um, of venison. And by the way, just in case you think this is just some weird human thing I'm talking about. Nope. It's a conserved pathway. Let's think about the grizzly bear. The grizzly bear is not going to be there with a taro citron and a muscat. Stop. Okay. But... Grizzly bear, Pacific Northwest, hitting the salmon run to get ready for hibernation. Goal, to get as much fat as possible for hibernation. When the grizzly starts the salmon run, it eats the entire salmon, the whole salmon, down to the bone. But as it gets fatter and fatter and fuller and fuller, it ends up only eating the skin of the salmon and the fat underneath the skin. Why? Because this is the calorically densest part of the salmon. So this changing in the craving for calories that we have Okay, for more caloric density as we get fuller is a conserved phenomenon. This is the so-called dessert tummy. It actually exists. So anyway, that was a that was a a, a sidebar. So look, I was vaccinated twenty uh, sixth of, of of April. So how what happens when we get out of this lockdown? When we get out of this pandemic? The pandemic will pass. Okay, it might not seem like it, but it will pass. The main problem, however, is that the other pandemic we're dealing with, the pandemic of obesity. Okay, which has biological and societal um, etiologies, is not going to pass anytime soon. So what, what, what are we going to do about this? Well, I think, I think we need to think two things in order to successfully fix the problem. People, people say, well, we just need to eat less. I know. But how are you going to make people do that given the biological and societal drivers? So a couple of things that we need to know. Body weight is not a choice for the reasons I've told you. It is not a choice. It might seem like a choice. Okay, because of because of the timings of what we do, but it is not a choice. Contrast, poverty is a choice. Poverty is a 
political choice. And the first thing we've got to do, so body weight, you know, we're not going to be able to change our genes ethically anytime soon, anyway, at, at, at any rate. We continue to study the variation because it's important. Poverty is a political choice, and we, we should be able to solve that. And that in of itself would take care of really quite a lot of the obesity that, that we actually have today. Just to quote the closing quote, uh, Tupac Shakur, Tupac, okay, in his 1993 uh, tune, Keep Your Head Up. They got money for wars, but they can't feed the poor. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Charles Yo. I'm happy to take questions. This, by the way, is loin of pork. And once it got cut, you can, you can, you can really get delicious. And this is beetroot soup served with that sourdough. Uh, incidentally, that was me cooking sourdough on the barbecue when we thought our oven was broken. It wasn't broken. But anyway, this is so middle class, so cliche. Um, I'm happy to take questions, ladies and gentlemen.